Get more info at BobVila.com and right here at home with me, Bob Vila. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. I'm John Lesher, CNBC. The Dow closed up 114 points, the Nasdaq 6, and the S&P 510. Stocks turned around after Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin called the U.S.-China trade talks constructive. But they've ended for the day with no deal, and Mnuchin says nothing new is planned. If the trade war drags on and consumers spend less due to higher prices, the Fed might have to cut interest rates. A big increase in the price of gasoline led consumer prices three-tenths of one percent higher in April. Food prices fell, but apartment rents and health care costs were also up. Uber lost 1% after opening below its IPO price of $45 in its long-awaited market debut. Rival Lyft fell 9% to a record low. Ford was up 1.5% after an upgrade to buy. And Party City is closing 48 stores, blaming in part a worldwide shortage of helium. John Lesher, CNBC. It's the little things. Like finding 20 bucks in the wash. Woo! Jackpot! Or knowing where to shop online for all the newest styles and best deals around. Stage.com, of course. Visit Stage.com today for incredible sales, our newest markdowns on clearance, more extended sizes, and even more choices. Plus, check out today's deals online for daily coupons and offers. Fresh styles, big savings, and fun perks every day. Stage.com. Little things mean everything. Offer exclusions apply. It's time for some straight talk. A phone with all the high-speed data you need is awesome. But two phones with unlimited data, that's double awesome. Switch to Straight Talk Wireless and get two lines with our ultimate unlimited plan for just 90 bucks. That's unlimited talk, text, and data on two lines for up to 45% less. All on America's best 4G LTE network. Multiply your savings with Straight Talk Wireless, everything for less. At 60 gigs, we reserve the right to review your account for usage in violation of Straight Talk's terms and conditions. Savings may vary. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Do you know where you are? Well, you've done it now. You're listening to KCAA Loma Linda, your CNBC news station. So expect the unexpected. Hi, and welcome to the Capital Raising Club. I'm your host, Rose Vitale, co-founder of the Capital Raising Club. I'm here to help make sense out of business, investments, and capital raising. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an investor, this show bridges the gap between investors and business owners with interviews from business leaders who have experience on both sides. Make sure you follow us on Facebook at Capital Raising Club. You can watch our previous episodes and sign up for our newsletter at our website at CapitalRaisingClub.com. And now here's the host of the Capital Raising Club, Rose Vitale. Well, greetings, everyone, and thank you very much for joining the Capital Raising Club. And this is our unique radio program where we interview people who are entrepreneurs, those who have a function a business that is uh, expanding, and those persons who are investors or who have something to do with the investment community. The object is to put people together and assist them and uh, to grow their business and uh, the profitability of all of their activities. Today, we are very pleased to have as our guest, George Parrish, who's a gentleman who I met uh, a few months ago. George is the executive director of Entrepreneur Lab Stockton in California, and he is also a business consultant who's worked with some of the world's most promising business startups. And that is his uh, forte at the moment, which is the startup uh, business area. As a current board member on eight different startups in San Francisco Bay Area, he's known for his ability to examine a business market as well as to identify successful business opportunities for the business startup. George has built and sold companies with his knowledge of startups across the technology industry, both small and large. Uh, 
and also within the business to, to a commerce area, he has changed the face of businesses and created successful futures for his clients. Now, the Entrepreneur Lab is a 12-week intensive incubation program with the goal of cultivating high-growth startups by connecting with them with the right people. And startups selected to participate undergo one-on-one -on -one coaching and training by startup professionals on a wide range of topics, including sales, marketing, scaling, legal, and much more. All the mentors have substantial VC and investment networks. The program culminates in a graduation pitch event in front of a select group of VCs and others. Well, George, welcome very to the program. And uh, I'm gonna turn it over to Rose to begin to uh, find out about uh, what makes George tick. Well, yeah, George, it's, uh, well, thank you, uh, first of all, uh, John, for that great introduction. I think that gives our listeners uh, a background, a, you know, a bit about uh, George. And, and so, George, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you actually get started in this area? Oh, well, um, first of all, let me say uh, thank you to you, Rose, and John, for even asking me to come on the show. Um, I, I have a background that's a little, little different than everybody else's. I was actually doing sales consulting in uh, the San Francisco Silicon Valley area, helping kind of medium-sized companies get unstuck. And um, one night I happened to notice that the backup to get home was going to be, oh, God, uh, just mind-bending <laughs> back to the Central Valley. So I flipped open my laptop and typed in networking uh, San Francisco and up came this event that I wound up going to. I walked through the door and it was immediately um, greeted by the event producer. And he says, I've seen you at a bunch of networking events around town. He says, how'd you like to judge tonight at the pitch event? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, huh? <laughs> he goes, no, no, just sit there, ask business questions and everything. And, and this was, 12 years ago. So um, that's how literally I got started at, at the pitch event stage. Um, a few years later, I was judging an event with a, with a number of um, other angels and, and uh, VCs. And uh, the gentleman sitting next to me he leaned over and he says, you know, I'm going to start my own pitch event. And I would like you to come aboard as one of my first judges at my event in San Francisco. And I said, sure, it turned out that that turned out to be Axel Schultz, who um, ran an accelerator out of Berlin called Society3. Uh, not only did I get involved in Axel's pitch event in San Francisco, I got involved with the accelerator in Berlin, uh, working with startups in Germany. And Berlin is ground zero for the startup scene in all of uh, Western Europe. So uh, I, I couldn't have met a, a better or a nicer or a more connected person and that relationship has just grown over the years so um, in in about 2016 I was asked by the powers that be in uh, the city where I live in Stockton that uh, they, they asked me to come down and have a meeting with the um, I don't know, I want to call them the C-suite the mayor vice mayor city manager and they uh, when we got there I was asked if I was the crazy man that was still driving back and forth from Stockton to San Francisco five days a week. And I said, yes. And they said, um, you know, our background is in the start startup world, entrepreneur world. Uh, the mayor obviously graduated from Stanford. He's familiar with that. He saw that there really wasn't a program uh, in place in Stockton and, and asked me if I wanted to be interested. And so, so became entrepreneur lab. Uh, began in August 2017. So that's a 10,000-foot overview of how I got started in pitch events, uh, working with accelerators, um, you know, getting involved in my own. And uh, and I, I've worked with different incubators and accelerators along the way, and, and uh, uh, accelerators and, and incubators that are forming have brought me in as a consultant to, you know, look at how it's going to be uh, set up, 
how to find advisors and mentors for their programs, uh, whether the program's a five-day-a-week uh, in-house or a one-day-a-week in-house, doesn't, or a virtual. Uh, it is, you know, there's also those things that are online now. So does that answer the question? <laughs> Yeah, I think that gives us a really great answer to that question. But, you know, you've mentioned accelerators and incubators. Talk a little bit about what that is, because maybe some of our sure. listeners, you know, maybe they don't know what that that, that terminology means. Sure, sure. Um, I, I think the easiest reference for the listener is that uh, think of incubators as undergraduate school and um, think of accelerators as graduate school if the analysis uh, proves Fitful. Um, one of the things that we work at is our incubators. You know, we're we're working with early stage startups, and as we define early stage startups in the business vertical that I play in, that that consists of and is referenced to rounds of funding, either what's known as friends and family round, which is your basic first uh, resource that you go to to help with the finances of getting the company started, um, and then the next is pre-seed. Then you have a seed round, and then you have a Series A. That's the that's the areas that I play in uh, in terms of early stage startups. Uh, and if you were thinking about the collegiate example, that would be your four year undergraduate program where you would graduate with a BA or a BS. All right. And then if you're looking at an accelerator, obviously what you're doing is finding an area of expertise where you need to excel. So your business vertical has been established. Um, let's just say uh, you have a healthcare startup and everything. So you would be looking at healthcare accelerators whose investors invest in the healthcare vertical. And that program would grant you access, hopefully, to those people to be able to help you grow uh, because you, at that stage, you've already launched. You know, you should have your first 100, 500,000 paying customers. And now you're ready to scale. And that's where the investor gets really excited about jumping on board in the startup scene that I've been exposed to and I've lived in for the past 12 years. Uh, when when startups start to scale um, and they start to scale and if they want to become a world beater, that takes a lot of money to be able to do that. So I'd, I'd look at the two examples. Again, one's undergraduate, one's a graduate course. That pretty much how it, how I how I try to explain it to to almost everybody. Well, yeah, that I sounds really good. Really, yeah. yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I think because you know a lot of times people may not understand that, and so yeah. I think that's important. You know, one one other thing too. You know, inc incubators generally generally, and I'm not saying they do this 100 percent of the time. I do not give a round of funding to the early stage startups that are going through their programs. Accelerators, by using that term, um, and examples would be 500 startups, Y Combinator, uh, just for example, you know, they usually provide a seed round of funding in exchange for an equity play in the companies that are going through their programs, okay? Usually when you use the term accelerator, you're writing a check to somebody, you know, at the, at the end of the process. So that's an additional delineation between the two. Okay. Earlier in your uh, monologue, you mentioned that uh, the word pitch. For those who are not familiar with it, would you please describe what a pitch is? Pitch, uh, a pitch is a, uh, you know, see it on TV, Shark Tank all the time. On, and um, what it is, though, it's a startup of, either early stage, mid-development, or seasoned startup uh, pitching to a panel of judges and investors who can open up doors and tee up opportunities for those that are pitching. I've, you know, there are all kinds of different levels of pitch events. Uh, there's pitch events for early stage startups. There are pitch events for companies that have already launched and they're starting to scale. There are companies at scale who want to, you know, further grow their market and, and become dominant players within those markets. And every single one of those type of events is very, very different in terms of what it can do for the startup and what it can do for the principals involved. And by principals, I mean the judges and the investors on usually the judging panel. 
that's that's really what a pitch is all about. It's a chance for uh, a startup to get up and try to find out if there is the market validation out there in the investment community that uh, will enable them to keep moving forward with their product or with their service. Okay, that's a very good definition. Uh, generally, how long is the pitch per person? How much time do they have to make their uh, presentation? That's really determined on on the organizers of the pitch event. Um, I've run an event for the last nine years in San Francisco. We allow three minutes and only three minutes. We um, we demand uh, a seven slide deck pitch deck uh, run based in PowerPoint uh, to uh, and, and no more than seven slides to be able to put together the business problem that they're addressing, the solution that they have in-house to fix the business problem, their go-to-market strategy, which is usually a revenue slide, team slide, what we call the ask slide. You know, how much are they asking for investment in, in company, whether it's a half million dollars, a million, million five, two, whatever. And then usually uh, an intro slide and exit slide and that's pretty much it. It, it, it. Our our event is get up there. Let's see if there's any interest in a the product or the service or the business vertical that you're playing. And at the event, not only from the standpoint of the judges and the investors that are on the judging panel, but also in the audience because there's always money out there, as we call it, at our events. But I've been to events, successful ones that only allow you two minutes to pitch with no slides. I've seen five-minute pitches, ten-minute pitches. Um, when it gets beyond ten minutes, it, it begins to be pretty much a slog because uh, <laughs> most of us, as, as we all well know, for example, we get up at 4.35 o'clock in the morning. We start our day. We work a full day. We get to our event. Usually the pitches start, you know, 6 o'clock or 6.30. If you're looking at half-hour pitches after you've already done a 12-hour, 13-, 14-hour day, believe me, the mind wanders. And I, <laughs> you know, and, I, and I don't know anybody other than Tony Robbins that can keep you in the palm of, his, of your hand for a half-hour. That's for damn sure. So. Yeah, that's so, for sure. Yeah, so yeah. two, three, you know, two, three, five, ten minutes is pretty much standard depending upon the event. Well, the first time I was involved in a pitch event was in the year 2000 up in Tacoma, Washington. And I was the lead-off uh, speaker. Uh, I was pitching the development and growth of a uh, product line for uh, building contractors. And mm -hmm. there were five minutes allotted to me. And uh, at that time, they allowed up to 10 slides. Mm -hmm. And uh, very fortunately, uh, in front of an audience of more than 250 business people in the community, the VC community, and various others, I did raise just under a million dollars with that opening uh, pitch. Mm -hmm. Of course, there was some follow-up work to, uh, that went with it, but uh, oh, yeah. that's what put us on the map, essentially, and then made us uh, a target for a uh, subsequent merger so well, it was great. it was yeah i was really pleased by the outcome scared to death the first time i did it though i have to tell you oh yeah yeah you know, I, I i yeah it's funny i see that i see that we talked about scared to death part look I've, I've seen everybody pitch i mean from all over the place i mean yale harvard uh, stanford cal wharton school london school of economics i mean the sore bone to come over. I mean, every imaginable top school produces, you know, some top people, and they all seem to be running to the Silicon Valley, and I've seen a lot of them pitch, but the one thing they all have in common is they're all nervous the first time out. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. That's for yeah. sure. Rose, uh, what would a, you like yeah, to ask I have a question. <clears throat> well, yeah. the, the question is, yeah, how long have you, you know, um, how long has this entrepreneur Aladdin Stockton been operating for. That's a, that, I think that's important. Yeah, um, August 2017 was the first class, and um, and it was funny because um, 
UOP started their entrepreneur program two weeks after we did. So we beat UOP to the punch. Ha <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, one of the great things I love that what you're doing is, is because obviously I live in the Central Valley mm-hmm. and I see that there's such a golden opportunity here. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the things I love about you bringing it to Stockton is because I think that, you know, there's such an opportunity here in the Central Valley and obviously it, it you know, comparable to San Francisco or other, you know, other major cities in right. California. People right. really don't know about the Central Valley and the opportunities that exist here. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, we're only 90 minutes away from um, Silicon Valley, San Francisco, and we might as well be nine million light years away, as you know, as some people see us out here. But uh, you know, the one thing you learn driving back and forth from the Central Valley to the Bay Area is that um, pretty soon. Um, if the developers have their way out in the Pleasanton Livermore Valley, they're going to pave that whole thing over and they're going to build, you know, they, they're already putting in thousands of townhomes and condos out there, which are going to contribute to gridlock mess, you know, the, the roads just being inhabitable. So, you know, what happens after that takes place? There's only one place they can go and that's over the Altamont. And guess who's going to be waiting for them? You know, I can just imagine, you know, and I mean, that's part of the long term uh, look that I I had in play when I put this thing together. Um, you know, we're going to uh, we are going to start our second um, placement of Entrepreneur Lab out in Tracy this summer. So Tracy's coming aboard because we've been helping a couple out there open the first co-working space in Tracy, California. That puts you a half hour closer to the Bay Area as opposed to Stockton. But we're always, you know, Stockton is always going to be the mothership. I mean, downtown Stockton and what we started there is never, ever going to go away. But, you know, there are other cities that are that have been kind of gut feelers out to me now. They, they want to talk. You know, they, they see what we're doing. You know, they they want to be able to tell you know, they're young entrepreneurs. Hey, maybe you don't have to take off for the big city. We got something here that you may be interested in. And, you know, I've been brought in on, uh, I don't know how many meetings as to, you know, the, the validity of what you want, what, what they want to do, how long it's going to take to implement this, you know, and obviously uh, that that's a great, great sign for entrepreneurs out in the central Valley that they're, Pub, their public entities are realizing that there is a play here in this particular business vertical. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. And how many people have you helped and how many people have successfully completed the program so far since you've started um, it? I've uh, see we've through 25 companies have, have gone through the program. So we're looking at 75, 80 founders that have gone through the program and um, personally I probably helped launch another 40 companies before I started entrepreneur lab so I was involved in you know in the formation and and helping get them off the ground and up and running and you know getting them to meet investors those kinds of things so you know we're probably looking at close to all total 70 75 companies now in in my career that I've been able to help and um, I'm looking forward to once Tracy comes on board that number is just going to grow that's all Oh that's wonderful and and so what are some of the I think this is going to be important also to the listeners is mm-hmm. what are some of the key key factors that you look for in entrepreneurs, I mean, is there some red flags you look for? Is there some green lights you look for? What are some of the things that you look for? I mean, are the personality traits? Is it um, skill traits? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I want to find out first of all why they even want to go down the road of entrepreneur because you know it isn't for everybody. It just isn't. I don't care what anybody says. I don't think anybody in their right mind thinks that 100% of the people on the face of the earth could be entrepreneurs and run their own business. It's really complicated. It's really tough. And part of the thing that I'm looking for is a, um, an exceptional quality of some, something within the people that I'm talking to that we can help build on 
that will enable them to get past the idea stage, get to the formation stage, uh, you know, get a co-founder or two to buy into what it is that they're doing. And, um, you know, before we ever start sitting them down for even a class, there has to be a spark there somewhere that I can see or I can feel within them uh, that is unique. Something very, something where almost, um, if I ever hear the words, I think um, I, I want to be in business to treat people better than, better than and as well as I treat myself. And I think that that's missing in business today. If they say that, they're in. <laughs> they're in. I mean, um, and, and part of it is the, um, um, uh, if, if they have any kind of social conscience, uh, if, if they say, uh, like, uh, our buddy from Salesforce up in San Francisco, um, you know, from day one, uh, Salesforce, uh, uh, they, they just said 1% of all the revenues is going to go to a foundation to help those that need the help in society that can't get it and everything like that. And I, if that comes through in play, that's, that's another thing I'm looking for. So I'm not just looking for hard chargers that want to take over the world. I also want them to realize that in this world, it takes all kinds of people to exist with each other. And the cab driver and the Uber driver and the, and the LinkedIn driver and, and the, the people that pick our fruit and vegetables, um, and, and hump tables and, and 10 bar are every bit as important as everybody sitting in a, in a seat of government somewhere in this country. Boy, I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, George. I love it. I love it. Well, one of the things I really liked, um, I, I think it was Robert on Shark Tank. He goes, you know, I look for businesses that solve problems, mm-hmm. you know, and so, I mean, that's, Perfect. He, he said it perfect, you know, and, and I like what you just said, too, in terms of, you know, what value does this company bring? Yeah. And it's really about bringing value, how to solve problems. And if, if we're focused on that, you know, we never have to worry about revenue if we can really focus on, you know, the, that aspect yeah. of business. I agree. You know, there's also there's, there's an aspect to, to solving business problems that results in uh, the market share, achieving market share, people buy into what it is that you're doing. You know, it's, it's not enough to say, um, I'm going to build an app and I'm going to build an app that's going to address this because I think it's cool. I mean, I've run into that all the time. Um, what I've also noticed and what I've also had to learn because you know, my time isn't um, infinite in, in terms of talking to people about their dreams and hopes and aspirations. Usually if I find out if somebody's building an app, I don't really want to know about their app. I, I tell them, I don't care about your app. Tell me about your business. And that usually stops 95% of all app developers in their tracks um, because they don't know anything about running a business. They sure know how to code. They sure know how to become a decent engineer. But running a business is, is as important, if not more important, than the building of the app itself. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree on that as well because my business partner actually is a computer programmer mm-hmm. and she developed out when when we first got into the wireless industry, you know, the software in terms of uh, POS systems that serve the wireless industry was really, it was non-existent. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's tons of them out there now, but she developed our POS, you know, POS system from the ground up. Right. I mean, it's now web-based, but uh, we had the problem of keeping track of, you know, all of our sales. And as we scaled, we needed a solution to really track our sales. And the, the more stores we had, we actually had to be able to be, you know, working remotely. And so she had to solve that problem. Sure, sure. You know, it's am- it's amazing. You know, uh, well, this is what this is what a lot of people don't realize. I mean, we, we do know about development in, in the app world. It's critical. I mean, especially um, uh, continents that don't have 4G, 3G, 5G running, you know, uh, out there for the people that inhabit a, a lot of countries right now on the face of the earth. Um, but, I mean, just in the Google <laughs> and Apple stores, 
there's eight million apps there already. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's an amazing number. Wow, that to me, that just, I mean, mind-boggling. You know, it's like, boy, you want to talk about a needle in a haystack uh, syndrome, but but it's there, it's there today, and I don't see, I don't see it getting any smaller. <laughs> I really don't. Wow. So when a person comes to you and they ask what kind of uh, experience they should have to be a successful business organization, what do you tell them? Well, I I have to ask them, why are they asking me that question instead of going to get a job and and going to work (laughs) for somebody, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it's one of those things also about, you know, uh, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Does the entrepreneur or the employee come first? And I think in the vast majority of cases, and and I say this with with the, the viewpoint of having done this for a, for a long, long, long time, I think most people, I think most graduates of universities in whatever fields of study that they're in right now really need to go work for somebody else because I don't think they understand the complexity of what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I really don't. This is one of the most difficult things in the world in order to be able to be really, really good at and to be successful at. And, you know, I went to school in in, in the Central Valley here at, at Stagg High School in Stockton. We had a thousand kids in our graduating class. Um, most of those uh, students went to go work for somebody else. And, and the ones that went to work for some branch of the county or the state, they got a great life right now. I mean, they got a nice pension check coming in and, and their houses are paid for and their kids are out of the house and they're starting to travel and they're starting to enjoy life right now. And I think that's incredible. And there's a real good chance that if those people had gone in and tried to start their own businesses, They'd all be driving Uber and Lyft in their 70s to be able to try to keep a, a, just a, a roof over their heads, much less anything. Yeah, else. you know, I, I agree with that too. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I told my business partner, I said, I even mentioned this to her. I said, you know, I don't care what degree you have. Being an entrepreneur, you know, being an entrepreneur is one of the hardest things to to ever have done and she's faced a lot of difficult uh, jobs and so I asked her and she agrees with me I mean you have to think of so many aspects of your you know of your company if it's if it's not you know the state you know you're dealing with federal if it's not federal you're dealing with employee problems if it's not employee problems you're dealing with payroll problems there's always something yeah and and people look at um, at, at just leadership skills you know, as, uh, you know, people that have to walk tall, walk straight, walk fast, you know, and, um, you know, the successful CEOs that I know of, uh, in the entrepreneurial space, you know, the, those ones that are the most successful are the ones that don't talk all the time, that don't walk the fastest all the time, but they sure listen. They listen really, really well to their employees, their co-founders, and man, do they listen to the market. What does the market want from their company when they go out to their customer base and say, you know, hey, what do you want to see in the next version of what we develop out here? I mean, and then build it for them. I mean, that that's the way to run a business, you know, and uh, there's so many others that just don't follow that path. So, you know, it, it's a head scratcher, but um, that's what makes the successful ones different than the unsuccessful ones. Or, or if you want to call it effective or ineffective, so be it. <laughs> yeah, I think I would go with the latter uh, <laughs> because in my experience, I've run across so many people uh, in various kinds of situations. Um, and it's very rare that you have a really competent entrepreneur. And those who are generally started out as children, mm-hmm. putting together little business deals and then coming up through uh, high school and college and so on, they always had their fingers in some sort of business activity. And from what you've told me, Rose, uh, you certainly did the same thing when you were growing up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
I mean, from when I started in elementary school selling pencils, doubling my money, mm-hmm. to uh, taking over my school store and, and running that and converting it and, and making it probably the most successful school store in history, actually. My marketing teacher, some of the innovative things that I was doing, you know, really put her hair stand up, made, made her hair stand up. And so, uh, you know, I, I kind of stopped doing what I was doing. And then she came to me and she goes, well, when are you going to start doing those ads again? <laughs> you know, and so uh, it was interesting how we took that store and scaled it and, and really developed it. And it was interesting. So I, I think that you're right from what you said, John, in terms of you have to have it early on. You know, when I first started, you know, they asked me, what did I want to do? I always knew I wanted to be a business owner. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I, I, I really do. And I think that's uh, one of the things that we look at. Uh, certainly that part of a personality is the kind of personality that you're attracted to when you're doing something like I'm doing and everything. I, you know, one of the things that was really, really important when I set this thing up uh, in Stockton was that I was bound and determined that every mentor and advisor was going to have startup experience either in one of two ways, either being a part of multiple startups um, over a period of four or five years or having a successful or six or two exits to understand what that takes. And in all cases, you know, know what it's like to chase money. So those were <laughs> you know, the, the parameters. I, I did not want to, poach anybody from the academic world um, because what the academic world does is very, very different than what I do. I mean, and I think the academic world does a great job at doing what they do. And I think what we do is terrific also. So, um, but, you know, we're, we're kind of in the game on a daily basis. And I don't think you can say that in the world of academia by any stretch of the imagination. Although one of my advisors got his doctorate and taught at Stanford and, you know, was part of Stardex. And he, I mean, he knows that whole journey, what that's all about. And my feeling is that that's the biggest and smartest and uh, most aggressive startup community in, in the, on the face of the earth right now is, is that group. And um, I certainly don't mind having somebody from that community helping the early stage startups that are coming through our program. George, would you take a few minutes and describe what your program is and how it works? Sure, sure. Um, I, ideally, uh, when, when a, a person applies uh, to the program, there's a series of questions on our website that they need to answer. And these are just basic business questions, but they start to immediately find out what they know and what's equally important, what they don't know. And uh, what they don't know just through the application process is going to give them a taste of what they're going to be running up against in the program. But every week, there's a different topic that we address. There's, there's advisors and mentors to help each and every startup go through that particular topic to get a, not only a decent understanding, but a great understanding of the kinds of things that we address on a weekly basis. You know, for example, our first um, our first class is always about incorporation issues. Uh, incorporation solves a host of problems in terms of talking to other companies about what it is that you do without having people sign NDAs and everything like that. So startups, for example, learn the difference between an S-Corp and C-Corp in, in Delaware. They, they learn the difference between what an LLC is here in California versus other incorporation issues and the importance of securing your intellectual property for whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's selling a product or selling a service. Once you've done that, you can actually talk to other people about, you know, what it is that you're doing without fear or recrimination of somebody stealing your idea. And then, you know, we follow with different weeks on on topics such as leadership, uh, business development, uh, marketing, growth hacking, uh, client acquisition, um, traction, um, how to leverage LinkedIn. Uh, probably the, the the most important social media site for business owners out there right now. It's not Facebook. It's not Twitter. It's actually LinkedIn. 
We have somebody come in and teach a class on that. We actually, I actually have a psychologist friend of mine who's got a full practice in Oakland who just loves working with millennials. For, and this gives her an opportunity to come out and teach a class on how to deal with stress. Uh, I bring in um, accredited angel investors and VCs to talk to the startups about, all right, this is what we look for. This is what we are attracted to. And these are some of the things never to ask of an investor. Sometimes that's almost as important as learning how the right questions to ask a, an accredited investor in terms of funding. I mean, those are, you know, it's, every, every week within that 12-week program, we deal with a topic like that and just kind of like break the program up into three very distinctive um, areas. The, uh, one I call the CEO space. Uh, one is the CMO space, the chief marketing officer space, and one is the CFO space, and that covers the 12-week program. So uh, that founder team of one or uh, of two or three that are coming through the program, they learn a little bit about what it's like to be a CEO, a little bit of what it's like to be the marketing and sales guy, and a little bit of what it takes to become, you know, to understand the financial aspects of that program. So that is a vast overgeneralization of what it is that we do. Well, that's, uh, but it does clarify it, I, I believe. Now, what you mentioned the mentors and persons who were assisting. Right. What is their background beyond just dealing with startups? Are there special skills that you're looking for in your mentors or persons who are assisting? It, it, it's funny. Um, every one of the mentors uh, at one point in their careers, one time or another, came and asked me for help. And they asked me for help in either the formation of their companies or the launching of their companies or to come in and talk to their employees of their companies. And, you know, they all had different varied interests in a lot of different business verticals. So when I started this, guess where I went to? Everybody that I helped tee up an opportunity or opened up a door who fell into the parameters of what I'm looking for in a startup advisor and mentor all got asked the same question. I'm starting this in Stockton. Would you like to become a part of it? And 100% of them said yes. So that, for me, that was almost the easiest part of putting this thing together for me. And and, and other uh, incubators and accelerators, it is a nightmare to try to find the right people uh, to teach the right solution in in their programs. But I've been really, really fortunate in terms of uh, being able to find those people. So, you know, for years when I was uh, working as a sales consultant, um, I would run into these people uh, or I'd run into a pitch events. And, uh, and for a pretty long time, I never turned anybody down who asked for a cup of coffee meeting or, you know, somebody that wanted to take me to lunch or something like that. That was the only way I could actually, you know, build my network out brick by brick to be able to do the kinds of things I'm doing now. So um, that that's the way um, I found these people because not only did they ask me for help, I saw them in their own little worlds, you know, in their own little universes successfully driving their companies, their early stage startups uh, through the launch process and getting to those 500 paying customers, 1,000 paying customers, 1,500, 2,500 pay, paying customers, or maybe 50,000 downloads, 250,000 downloads, 500,000 downloads of their app. That's how I did it. Yeah, I love that. I love yeah. that. So it was, um, it was a, um, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't, and I, and I didn't buy my way into anybody else's hearts. We, we kind of did it the old, uh, the old fashioned way we earned it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true for most people. Yeah. <clears throat> a question that's been bugging me since we started talking is how do you deal with the questions of failure in business? Mm -hmm. Um, for example, if the news services are just having a field day talking about uh, the alleged uh, financial losses of uh, our president. 
in, <laughs> in his business activities. And my wife in particular was chiming in saying, well, you know, this is, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. But I was thinking to myself, well, in some cases, it's a strategy. And some people would not understand that. Uh, would you speak to the issue of failure or alleged failure as far as you have experienced it? Well, well, to, to address the earlier part, and let me tell you, part of the way I've set this program up is that um, if anybody, I, I find out any of my startups going through my 12-week program or on social media, either castigating the president or pumping him up. Um, and that's the same for pro-religion or anti-religion. I just take them aside and I say, all right, you got one strike against you. You don't get three. Next one, you're out. I've kicked two startups out of my program for them not having the discipline enough as business owners to stay away from the political and the religious questions while going through the program. Now, the, the, there's a couple of reasons why I set up those parameters, and, and that's there's, a, there's very, very few things you can't do, but that's one of the things that you cannot do while going through this program for one very simple reason. When you're an early stage startup and you're selling products or services, you need 100% of your market. And the way this country is split right now if you take a stance one way or the other, you're going to lose half your market, you know, or the ability to even the, the ability to even sell half you know to half your market. The other thing is you got to prove to me that you got the discipline as an early stage startup to do something for 12 weeks. And if you can't do it, I have serious questions about whether you have enough self discipline to run a company. And that's the other reason behind why I do that. And uh, but uh, to address the questions of failure, because um, we've already had a couple of companies kind of kind of run off the rails after they graduated, and and part of that was an issue of ego and hubris, and it seems to be uh, a, a case that has affected our program uh, just like it does everybody else in life. Uh, we, we believe in what it is that we're trying to do and the methodologies that we teach. When you leave the program, you know, we stay in touch with all of the graduates on a 30, 60, 90 day basis. Um, and the reason we do that is to keep touch, make sure they're making progress that they need. If they have any questions or real life experiences they don't have any answers for, we're still there for the graduates of the program. But sometimes they just decide they're smarter than everybody else in the room and they go off and they, you know, just go disregard everything that they learned and, and go off and do it on their own. And surprise, surprise, in two cases, they've fallen flat on their faces. And part of that is when you're talking about failure, sometimes I think, or let's just put it this way, most of the time, when you get to a point when you are promising more than you can deliver, you know, and you under deliver, that's a terrible, terrible thing to uh, take on as an early stage company, early stage startup. I mean, that will, you know, the word gets out on you in a, in a hurry that, um, you know, some people aren't making their deadlines and, um, you know, they're not on time with their budgets, you know, and uh, they're not delivering what they said they were going to do. And uh, they didn't get back to me in a timely manner. And those are the kinds of things I think can be directly traced back to hubris. I, I really do because the program itself, just follow, you know, any accredited incubator or accelerator program will give you the tools that you need in order to be able to kind of get out there and hopefully succeed in the world. If things change in the market, all right, you go through a terrible recession or a terrible depression, it's just not going to be you. It's going to be everybody else is going to be in the same boat at, at that point. You know, when those kind of things take place, like in 2008, then you got to run for the hills. And then you got to figure out, you know, do you want to, you need to stay in business or do you need to go out and get a job uh, working for somebody else? Because there, there does come a, there, there does come a time in the development of your company where you're not just responsible for your employees 
you're responsible for their family's well-being also. So it's just not a cutting somebody a paycheck and then you going home, going back to the country club and taking the little wife out to you know dinner at the club on a Friday night. That employee is dependent upon you and your ability to take your company and keep it above board, you know, so that he can keep clothes on his kids back, uh, buying books, uh, make car payments, you know, make a house payment, pay for insurance, food, put some money in the college fund, all that. That's your responsibility. So, it's, you know, it's an awful responsibility uh, of the entrepreneur that they got to live with that each and every hour of every day that they're in business. So that's, yeah, you know, that's for sure. You know, that's that's one of the things where I look at, you know, in terms of failure to get back to your original question. I think it always can be turned back to hubris, you know, somebody thinking they're bulletproof or, or um, it's not going to happen to me or my company. And that's, you know, you, you <laughs> as a matter of fact, nobody's, nobody's immune from the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Eh? Yeah, absolutely. It's true. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. I mean, I was watching an episode of the prophet and this mm-hmm. guy, he, he had such a great, really, he had a great product, great company. Mm -hmm. I mean, but the guy was just a complete idiot. I mean, he was just (laughs) over the top. And then, you know, ultimately, Marcus didn't want to do business with somebody like that. And he, he was his ultimate, you know, he was his ultimate uh, failure is was himself. I mean, like I said, everybody was like, wow, this is a great company, great product. But I mean, the guy was just over the top. I mean, you know, some of the characteristics, uh, characteristics that you described there, that's mm-hmm. what they do, you know, that, you know, that, that, that he had. So it was interesting. Yeah. You know, we, I see this all the time, you know, I see this all the time in the companies that I deal with in, uh, organizations, uh, local chambers of commerce, you know, uh, local politics, uh, state politics, dealing with lobbyists in some cases and stuff. Um, boy, oh boy, uh, just because um, just because you've written an app doesn't mean you can walk on water and feed the multitudes, <laughs> you know, feed the multitudes with uh, three fishes and three loaves of bread. You know, you, you know, you're just not at that level, son. You know, that's it. Yeah, for sure. Well, George, we have about uh, three minutes remaining in our program today. What I'd like to do is have you answer two questions. The first is, how would somebody budget for participation in your program? What What's the cost of being at it? Okay. Um, 12-week programs, 25 bucks a week, 100 bucks a month, 300 bucks for the whole program. And in exchange for that, You'll get that 12-week program mentorship for you, not only during the 12-week program, but after you graduate and far into your business career with access to everything that's in my network and everybody else's mentors network. And in exchange for that, um, we get a 2% equity play in your company. So that's the other reason why we start talking about incorporation issues. You become a real company during the three-month time three-month time period that you're here. You just don't graduate with a bunch of great ideas and decide, well, you'll get around to that when you get around to it. So 300 bucks, 300 bucks to a 2% equity play, and that's the cost. Rose, what do you think of that? Wow. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked when he said that. I, I was like, wow, I'm shocked. I mean, <laughs> I mean, as we both know, we've spent so much time, money, effort, and energy, you know, working with the wrong people. Um, I think that this is why it's, you know, such a pleasure to have you on the show here because, uh, I mean, I've I've hired, as we grew the company, we hired so many of the wrong people um, and spent so much money. And so I think that if we would have known about you and known about, you know, your program, I think it would have definitely helped us, uh, probably scale the business a a lot better without maybe so many bumps and bruises along the way. And, um, I think that that's really important, um, for a company to have that, that mentor. I think that a lot of times, the most successful people or the most successful companies have that mentor. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was starting to work out, I knew I had to hire a trainer because, uh, if she was going to keep me on, you know, on track, she was going to, she was just going to offer a lot more value, 
you know, to my life. And so I think that in business too, people don't realize the importance of having that mentor, having right. somebody that you can turn to because as you grow your company, there's so many unknowns. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that you're faced with. Yeah. I, you know, that, and that's true. And, you know, sometimes you just have to have somebody in your network that you go talk to simple as that. Somebody that, you know, is not going to, is, is in it for, you know, your best interests. And um, that's right. you know, listen, listen, Father George has heard a lot of confessions and the sanctity <laughs> of the confessional is, is everything. I don't, I don't leak it. I don't leak those dirty, dark secrets anywhere, but you know, also, um, you know, it, to, to, to each and every person that's associated with this program, including myself, um, the, it's the entrepreneur's success that we uh, hold critical to uh, the development of this moving forward and has been from day one. You know, we're not in this to toot our own horn. We're not. Um, I'm always amazed at it when anybody ever wants to talk to me about this kind of stuff because um, – I say, well, don't you want to talk to the companies that are going through the program? They're the ones that, you know, are going to be the world beaters and stuff like that. There's your next Fortune 500 company in the Central Valley right there. Go talk to them. Um, You know, that's that's been my attitude from day one and hopefully will remain so until I can't do this any longer. Oh, that sounds really good. George, please tell our listeners how they can reach out and contact you. Oh, they can... uh, they get on, they can go any number of different ways, uh, but if they'd like to reach out to me, uh, obviously you can, you can catch me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can catch me on Facebook um, under Consultants GP as well as Entrepreneur Lab on Facebook. My uh, my handle on Twitter is uh, at George Parish One, the number one. So George Parish One on Twitter. And uh, same on Snapchat and Instagram. So I mean, if uh, I, I think I got enough ways for people to get a hold of me. <laughs> so LinkedIn, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, um, and the website uh, www.entrepreneurlabstk.com, and uh, you can catch me that way also. Fantastic. Well, George, thank you so much for being our guest today. And uh, Rose, what would you say to having George back again at a future date? You know, I'd really love to have him back. But you know what I'd really love? If we could actually go to some of the, you know, to some of the programs to get some real live on, you know, on-hand training. And I think that, you know, a lot of the listeners would love to hear real live experiences. I mean, if that's possible. I think that that would give us a, a better maybe understanding of the process. I think for me, I know I always work better with, you know, live examples. I mean, that's just a thought. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, that's not a problem. What's going to happen here is that we're kind of winding down this, um, this particular, um, this particular cohort. We only got about three weeks left to go, but Jim Chong, of uh, you know Jim Jim the walk star and everything uh, has been filming a lot of this stuff and uh, you know I'm sure we can get something either Facebook live going or direct feed into whatever you would like to see or if you know you just want to take a drive and if you you find yourself in Stockton on a Wednesday at noon for the next three weeks you're you're welcome to come as my guest anytime anytime and then I think we're going to begin the Tracy cohort, late July, I uh, know late June, early July, and then in September we'll come back for another 12-week cohort, our fall cohort in, in Stockton. So by the time we get through the end of the year, we should have six cohorts done and then plans to do four more next year. Wonderful. Well, George, we're up against the clock here, so Thank you again for being our guest and uh, sharing the experiences and uh, the wisdom that you have gained in all of the things that you've done in your life. Oh, thank you. Rose, Rose, Rose. any last minute thought? No, I mean, that was basically a great, uh, you know, interview. I really appreciate, you know, you taking the time and and speaking with me and John. And and, uh, remember, you're listening to KCAA, where we leave no listener behind. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good day, huh? Thank you. Same to you. Bye-bye. 
You've been listening to the Capital Raising Club with Rose Vitale. Join us each week on NBC Radio right here at this time. I'm here to help make sense out of business, investments, and capital raising. Make sure you follow us on Facebook at Capital Raising Club. You can watch our previous episodes and sign up for our newsletter at our website at CapitalRaisingClub.com. Join us each week on NBC Radio right here at this time on The Legacy, 1050 AM, Talk 102.3 FM, and Express 106.5 FM. And now on Alexa, get me KCAA. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM.